0: Chapter Twenty Three of Christina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asher. Christina by L. G. Mobiley. Chapter Twenty Three The King of My Kingdom. The afternoon was very still. Overhead, the sky of october was mistily blue the autumn sunshine flooded upland and valley with a golden glory in the air was that quietness that sense of waiting and brooding which marks an autumn day from the cottages in the valley thin trails of blue smoke mounted straight into the veiled softness of the sky the touch of autumn's hand was already visible upon the trees in the copse over the brow of the hill, the hazels were yellowing; the beech trees showed orange and gold amongst the leaves. The hawthorns wore a brave array of crimson and yellow leaves, and bright red berries. Long ago, the heather had faded; a soft dun colour had taken the place of the royal purple, which earlier in the year had carpeted the uplands. And the bracken glazed golden and brown upon the moorland slopes. From the place where Christina sat she could see the white road that wound away across the heather to Greystone, and to those far blue hills about which the afternoon sun was weaving a veil of light. In the valley to her right, the trunks of the pine trees were turning crimson in the sun's level beams the birch's delicate branches outlined against the blue of the sky the soft amber of the larches contrasting with the sombre green of the pines and beneath the trees the carpet of bright bracken touched the gold by the sunshine from far away across the moor came the sound of chiming bells from the copse across the road a robin sang his wonderful song of spring that will follow winter Of life that'll come after death and from somewhere amongst the trees of the valley a thrush was fluting the first notes of his next year's song that he had yet to learn the world was a very peaceful world on that october afternoon and christina sitting on a hummock of dry heather rested her chin on her hands and looked over the wide landscape with a great sense of its abiding restfulness the chiming bells the robin's song the occasional soft murmur of the little breeze in the pines harmonized with the brooding peace of autumn that seemed to be over all the land and the girl smiled as she let the sense of restful peace sink deep into herself she and babu were spending a week with mrs nan at graystone and on the sunday afternoon leaving the child in mrs nan's charge she had walked over the hill to the little churchyard to visit margaret's grave in that sunny corner of the churchyard close to the old gray wall she had found violets in bloom filling the air with their sweetness just as they had filled it on the april day when margaret had been laid to rest and Christina held some of the purple fragrant blossoms in her hand while she sat looking out over the great sweep of country to the golden sky behind the hills her thoughts were very full of the beautiful woman whose life had so strangely crossed her own and from her thoughts of margaret by a natural transition her mind wandered on to the remembrance of the man who had stood by her side at margaret's funeral she recalled the look of heartbreak in rupert murnside's eyes when they had met hers she remembered that glimpse she had had into the man's tortured cell how many times since that day had cicely speculated about rupert's friendship with margaret wondering whether he had cared for her more deeply than as a friend discussing the why and wherefore of his disappearance from the midst of his own circle whilst all the time christina knew in her heart that she could if she would have answered all these questions she knew that rupert's feeling for margaret was not merely that of friendship never had been friendship only and she knew intuitively that his usual round of life had become intolerable to him after margaret's death she felt an odd sense of triumph in her knowledge of him of triumph and of awe as well for to christina's simple and straightforward nature there was something awe-inspiring in the strange intimate understanding of another human being's self. seated there upon the heather she was so wrapped in her thoughts that she did not observe a figure moving slowly across the valley and not until the figure had detached itself from amongst the trees and was walking along the high road in her direction did she see that the object of her thoughts was coming towards her that he should have come at that particular moment struck her first as so extraordinary a coincidence that she could hardly believe the evidence of her own eyes But as the figure came a few paces nearer, she knew she had made no mistake. It was Rupert's face into which she looked, as she sprang to her feet, Rupert's grey eyes that met hers with a smile, despite the expression of wounding sadness. "'I never dreamt of seeing you here,' were his first unconventional words of greeting and yet it seems natural to find you. Perhaps he was hardly aware himself why he spoke the last half of his sentence, and although Christina's heart, leapt as she heard it. Something within her seemed to respond to the spirit of his words. To her, too, it seemed natural that they should meet out here on the heather, in the sunlight, close to Margaret's grave for the little churchyard lay only just over the brow of the hill and rupert's explanation of his presence on the moorland was not needed by the girl who knew without any words of his that he had come to visit that corner by the sunny wall where the violets scented the air with their fragrance after that brief greeting he made christina sit down again upon the heather and flung himself beside her His face turned, like hers, to the western horizon. I'm glad they put those words on stone, he said abruptly. Who thought were they? I think I thought of them first, Christina answered. They seemed the fittest and most beautiful words for her. Love never faileth, he quoted slowly. His thoughts going back to the white cross, upon which the words were engraved. Love never faileth. Yes, you could not have chosen a better epitaph for her. Her soul was built up of love, and her love never failed. Never for a single moment. It's a wonderful thing, the love of such a woman. Perhaps in all the world there is nothing more wonderful than a woman's love. He seemed to be speaking his thoughts aloud, rather than addressing her directly, and she did not answer his speech, only sat very still, her hands folded in her lap, her eyes looking out towards the golden west, a little smile on her lips. You know, I've been wandering over the earth since that day, Rupert went on, speaking with singular abruptness, I felt like that man who went out, seeking rest, and finding none. I found none." The ring of bitterness in his voice hurt the girl. She turned a little, and looked down into his face. "'I'm sorry,' she said, so very sorry. "'Are you?' he answered. It's not worth while being sorry for a man who has made such a mess of things as I have done. Why do you say that? she said quickly. You made the most of a beautiful friendship. You did Aunt Margaret no wrong in loving her. You were always her helpful friend. And now-now? he echoed when she paused. Perhaps you will think me impertinent for saying what I was going to say, she answered, the color creeping into her face. But I was going to say, now you'll not waste your life in regretting what is past and over. You're not the sort of person to waste life in regrets. I should think you would take all the best of the love and friendship and work them into your life to make it better. The words were as simply spoken, as they were simple in themselves their very simplicity made an appeal to the man who heard them for like all the best men rupert man of the world though he was had a very simple nature weave the past into the future he answered thoughtfully not sweep it away and try to forget it but let it be woven into my life is that what you mean Yes, that's what I mean. Only you have to put it into better words. I never think it's quite right to try and sweep away a past, even if it has hurt us. It always seems as if it must be so much better to use all that was good in the past and let it help to make the future better. I don't think I believe in stamping things out and burying them and being ruthless over them isn't it better to take the good from them and bury the rest rupert's eyes were fixed on the girl's face which had grown eager and intent over the thoughts she was trying to express and as he watched her a smile broke up the ruggedness of his own features she was quite unconscious of his gaze but a soft color had come into her cheeks as she spoke and the man who looked at her realized that hers was more than mere girlish prettiness. She had taken off her hat, and the sunlight fell upon the dusky masses of her hair, showing golden gleams in its dark threads. Her eyes, green and deep and very soft, made Rupert think of a stream in Switzerland, beside which he had stood only a few weeks back, a stream whose waters shone in the sunbeams, showing dark and green and soft in the shade. The color that had crept into the pure whiteness of her cheeks, tinted them as a white rose as sometimes tinted, and for the first time Rupert was aware of a faint yet definite likeness between the girl at her side and the woman he had loved. Perhaps it was in her expression, more than in any actual resemblance between the two women's faces, that the likeness lay, for something of Margaret's nobility and serenity seemed to be reflected on the younger countenance, and with that thought there flashed into his mind, too, the words Margaret had spoken to him before she died. He had never remembered those words again until now, and they recurred to him with extraordinary force. She would make a man who cared for her a most tender and loving wife. She has a sweet strong cell. A sweet strong cell. Those words rang in his brain with odd persistence, whilst his eyes watched Christina's profile as she sat silently looking out again across the moorlands a sweet strong cell. and there was such a strange restfulness too about the personality of the girl young though she was he remembered how conscious he had been of that restfulness on the day when he had sat and talked to her in mrs nan's parlor that same restfulness still over him now and some of the haunting misery within him died away. So you don't believe in a ruthless chopping away of the past?' he asked, going back to her last words. "'Oh, no!' she exclaimed vehemently. "'I am sure we are meant to use the past as a foundation stone for the future. Each thing in turn comes into our life joy sorrow, pain, difficulty—and they all have to help together to build it up into perfection.' but i've no business to be sitting here preaching sermons i must go home and relieve mrs Nan of babu and write to cicely and no wait here a little longer he interrupted imperiously laying a hand on her arm as she attempted to rise i am a return traveller and you are to tell me all the news before you go back to babu who i'm morally convinced is supremely happy with mrs Narn. Supremely, Christina laughed. She was going to help warm the scounds for tea, and perhaps you will come and help us eat them, she added shyly. Baba would be so pleased if you came to have tea with us again. And you? Would you be pleased? Of course, but she looked away from him as she spoke, and the soft rose tints on her face deepened ever so slightly. Babu and I were very proud of giving you tea in the little parlour last December. I like that parlour. I've pleasant recollections of it, he answered. I like the low ceiling, the oak-panelled walls, and the queer old-fashioned furniture. Yes, I'll come and have tea with you and Babu today, but first tell me all about everybody. You know Cicely has married Dr. Ferguson i saw it in a chance paper i have heard no details i simply drifted over europe where my fancy or the demon of unrest led me and i let nobody know where i was i know practically nothing why did cicely marry the doctor he is a thorough good fellow but there isn't any but christina answered firmly dennis ferguson is one of the very best men in the world and Cecily has been radiant ever since they were engaged they were only married three weeks ago and i wish you could have seen her face when she walked down the church you would not have said but then were her people annoyed a little but only a little and only at first i think they recognized how completely the marriage was for Cecily's happiness after all dennis is a gentleman an absolute and perfect gentleman, and a good man. And those two things are all that matter. Yes, those things are all that matter. It is only sheer worldliness that demands more. And if Cecily is happy, why, let worldliness go hang? Poor little Cecily certainly needed a man to take care of her. And Baba, that big property. But is Ferguson willing to give up his work? Cicely won't hear of his giving it up the surgery in south london is to go as usual and Cicely has insisted on having an assistant there to do the work when dennis cannot go himself so that as she expresses it she is not depriving a poor man of his living in allowing a rich man to profit by the surgery and its practice I confess to being a little surprised that Ferguson ever got himself up to the scratch of asking a rich woman to marry him, Rupert said with some hesitation. It doesn't seem quite like the man. It wasn't in the least like the man, Christina answered demurely, and I am afraid I made myself into a kind of, of matchmaker or god in the machine or something of that sort rupert laughed outright it was all you doing was it he questioned looking at her with smiling kindliness did you i don't think i can exactly tell you how i i worked the trick she laughed a little confusedly but cicely says it wouldn't ever have happened but for me and i'm glad so am i very glad ferguson is a lucky man a man who gets a woman like Cicely to take care of him may consider a part of every day well spent if he spends it in singing a ta of his own and sir arthur's last pendant was it ever found yes eventually the police traced the woman who had been in the railway carriage with lady congreve's bag and she confessed to having stolen the jewel after these words silence again fell between them until Christina once again made an attempt to rise i ought to go back she said when rupert's retaining hand again fell on her arm babu why should he go back when i warned you here was the audacious response i warned you much more than babu does the hand he had laid on her arm lingered there over the latter half of his sentence his voice had sunk almost to a whisper The rose tints on Christina's cheeks brightened. "'I believe I've been wanting you for quite a long time,' he went on, deliberately, his eyes watching how the colour came and went on her face, his hand still resting on her arm. "'Would you like to know how often, when I was wandering about the byways of Europe, I thought of that evening in Mrs. Nant's oak-panelled parlour, when I told you so many things about myself?' Would you like to know how often you came into my mind? Christina's dark head was a little bent. Her eyes were fastened on a clump of dragon and blazing golden in the level sun rays. Her voice was very low and a little shaky. I shouldn't have thought you would remember me at all, she said, the touch of his hand upon her arm filling her with a sensation of strange gladness. On that afternoon I told you. I'm sure I told you how restful you were, Rupert continued, speaking with an eagerness that gave him an oddly boyish manner. Something in your personality rested me then, and I've never forgotten it. You rest me now. He added suddenly, his hand slipping from her arm and folding itself over her hand. I came here today, feeling as if the world were a sorry enough place, and I, a poor fool who had messed up my life. Was at the end of my tether. But when I saw you sitting here in the sunshine, I felt as if some day the sunlight might come back into my life. Could I bring it back? Her voice still shook, but she lifted her eyes bravely to look into his face, and he bent nearer to her and gathered both her hands into his. Little Christina, he said, I don't know whether it is fair even to think of asking you to spend your fresh young life in bringing sunshine back to mine. But because I'm a selfish brute, because I want you, I'm going to ask you what I believe I've no right to ask you. And yet it was Margaret's thought, too. Margaret's wish, he added, under his breath. "'On Margaret's wish?' the girl exclaimed. "'That I—' That you? She broke off, confusedly, trying instinctively to draw her hands from his, but feeling the clasp tighten over them. Shall I tell you what she said to me about you the very last time I saw her? He asked. I think she knew I was going to be very lonely, and she spoke of you. I have not forgotten the actual words she used. They came back to me just now, as I sat here beside you she said she would make a man who cared for her a most tender and loving wife she has a sweet strong soul more and more vividly the color deepened on christina's face and she did not answer because speech at that moment was a physical impossibility only her hands lay passive in his grasp she no longer tried to draw them away i think margaret knew how i should learn to need you rupert went on his voice vibrating along the girl's nerves and sending little thrills of happiness through her whole being she understood how much you could help me if you would if i would she echoed the tremulous gladness in her voice but i am so young and so ignorant not a bit worthy of of all you say she ended incoherently could you some day learn to care for me if i tried to make you care was his answer could you some day care for an old fellow like me who hasn't even the best of his life and love to offer you could you do that little girl i don't call you an old fellow she said indignantly and i don't think i have got to learn to care i think i have learned already very gently with a sort of tender reverence he drew her into his arms and kissed her and then put her away from him again and said quietly is it fair to you i wonder is it fair to you to take all your best and give you only the second best in return. But I would rather have your second best than the best from any other man in the world," she said quickly. What, then, if it is a greater joy to me to think of being your rest and sunshine than to be anything else in the world? What then?" She put her hands upon his shoulders, pushing him a little further from her, that she might look fully into his eyes. ''I don't believe any man really ever understands a woman,'' she added, inconsequently, with a laugh. ''Where have you learned your knowledge of mankind?'' he questioned. ''And what makes you say we don't understand the other half of the world?'' ''Because, if you did, you would know that when a woman cares for a man, she would rather just be a servant in his house than go altogether out of his life.'' Perhaps we all prefer the best, but a woman who cares would rather have the second best than nothing at all. And are you a woman who cares? he whispered, drawing her back into his arms with a sudden sense of her sweetness, her desirableness. Would you rather be? You haven't asked me yet to be anything, she answered with a touch of audacity that sat charmingly upon her at least you only mentioned rest and sunshine and and intangible things of that sort and if i ask you to be my wife his lips were very near to hers his voice in itself was a caress and christina's heartbeats nearly choked her if i warned you for my wife little girl her answer was quite inarticulate If indeed she answered him at all but she allowed him to kiss her lips and rupert knew that her answer was given him with that kiss you would not have let any man kiss your lips unless you loved him well enough to marry him he said after a moment's pause and christina looked at him with happy laughing eyes i would not let any man kiss me at all unless i wanted to marry him she answered and you want to marry me rupert interrupted with a boyishly spontaneous laugh such as she had never heard from him before yes i want to marry you she said demurely drawing herself away from him again and looking mischievously into his face and do you know this isn't the first time i i have thought of marrying you who do you mean rupert's mystified expression brought a dimpling smile out upon her face do you remember the girl who answered your advertisement in the matrimonial column of her certain sunday paper that girl that girl was it you he exclaimed were you the girl to whom i wrote the girl i appointed to meet at margaret's house Could any coincidence be more strange? It was CM who answered that advertisement. Because she was at the very end of her resources, her help, Christina answered gravely, I felt horrible when I did it. I felt you would think the very worst of me for writing to you at all. But I was nearly in despair that day. There seemed just a loophole of escape for me. If I found you were kind and good poor little girl my poor little girl his arm drew her close you wrote the dearest most simple little letter i never thought the worse of you i never thought badly of you at all i made up my mind to help you get work and i recommended you to Cicely. at least i went so far as to tell Cicely i knew of someone who might do for baba But she didn't take me on your recommendation. No, she said, references were necessary, and and in the end she took me practically with no references at all. And the story has just worked itself out to this wonderful ending. Is it such a wonderful ending? He helped her to her feet, and they stood watching the golden sun drop slowly towards the golden hills. Is it? the ending you had chosen for yourself when i told Barbara fairy stories the prince used to have a curious family resemblance to you she answered i like to make my fairy prince like you because 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 i think i knew you were the best prince in all the world she whispered the king of my kingdom End of chapter 23 Recording by Asher End of Christina by L. G. Mowillie